morning, church. How are we doing? It's been a wonderful weekend um, in the Word and in, in dealing with a very important subject. Um, for those of you that were able to attend, I just hope that you were, you were as blessed as I was uh, in the time I was able to spend with you. And uh, for those that were not, I don't know if they recorded. If they did, please try and get your hands on that recording. Um, it, this is something that is for all of us, not just for a few of us. Amen. We're dealing with um, the subject of leadership. And uh, I'm going to speak a little bit more along those lines today. For those that were not here, I might relay a little bit of the foundation. For those that were here this weekend, this is just a capping off what we've been discussing so far. Before I do that, I just want to thank you for this invitation, Pastor Fini. Thank you for everyone that took care of me, that were taking me out to meals and to, uh, to make sure that I was comfortable. I was blessed being here, and I thank God for the timing of my, of my coming out right here in December before we get into, into 2019. My prayer is that the Lord preserves us and keeps us until we see the beginning of a new year. But because of the timing as well, there are certain things we... We need to look at, we need to look back and glance back at this 2018. I don't know what the year was like for you. Uh, for some of you, it may have been difficult. For some of you, it may, have, it may have been an amazing year of just overcoming. For others, you probably can't wait for it to be over. Uh, there may have been some challenges. But uh, we want to look back and be grateful for what God has done, but also be aware that we're about to transition into something else. In an entirely different year. And I, I believe that all those that are spiritually aware, they, they, they know that we are about to walk into uncharted territory. Um, if you're just aware of what is happening in, in Christianity here in the United States, um, our faith is going through an identity crisis where we are having to come back to redefine who we are as the children of God. There, there are many expectations that the world has for what the church is supposed to be. And uh, we, we cannot let the world define us. Because if we do, we're going to be in, in a whole lot of trouble. The church has got to become the church again. And we have to define what the church is not. The church is not a social group that meets behind closed doors and does nothing else. Amen. The church is not a social group that tries to make life as comfortable as possible for each of us. The church does not belong to any of us. It belongs to Jesus. There really has to be a readdressing of who we are because I absolutely believe, and I want to speak prophetically this morning, I believe we are about to enter into uncharted territory. There will be upheavals in the nations and you're going to notice that. Nations that used to get along are not going to get along anymore. Certain connections that had never been challenged in years and years and years, there's going to be friction in between entities that you never thought would ever have friction between those entities before. We are entering into uncharted territory. If you are spiritually aware, this is not the time to be asleep. This is the time to be awake. There's an advancement of things that are taking place in the nation of Israel right now that have a bearing on world affairs. We are at a particular time in the prophetic clock of God. And we have to know how to compose ourselves in that time. The reason why we're talking about leadership is we need to, we're trying to activate as many people to be back about the, the work of the Lord as the church used to be. The church used to be about the kingdom work. 100% participation in kingdom work. Then slowly over the years, particularly here in the United States, the majority of the work that the church has done has been done by a bare few. 
There's a Christian researcher called Barna with a research institute. And they found out that only about 15% of the church really does anything. The 85% just kind of show up and go home and do nothing else. They found out that even the giving of the church is only 15% of the people that are giving sacrificially. The rest are just kind of coasting along on what others are giving. They found out that the workers in the church, the majority of the work is placed on the same 15% of shoulders. They're the ones taking care of everything. And 85% of the people are just comfortable. So that's why it was necessary for you and I to discuss the call to leadership of the entire body of Christ. The burden of the kingdom does not rest on just a few. It rests on all of us. Back in the days of Israel, allow me just to talk for a minute before we go to scripture and verse. Everything I'm going to say right now is scriptural and you know where to find it. The, you know, when you look at the, what David tried to do something, I think it was in 2 Samuel around chapter 6. He wanted to bring the presence of God back into the city of David. And so he decided why? Because the, the, the tabernacle which was the center of worship in Israel since the days of Moses... He had been in this, this, this little tent. It had, it had been disbanded. And the ark of God, which was the central piece of furniture in the ark of the covenant, which represented the government in the presence of God and the glory of God. The ark of the covenant had been in the house of Aminadab for close to 20 years. Aminadab had gotten it back after the ark had been captured by the Philistines during the time of Saul. So now we're finding out that in the time of David, he wanted to bring the presence of God back into the city of David. And so what he did was this is very prophetic to where we are right now. Because initially, he tried to transport the presence of God on something that was made by human hands, but also to transport the presence of God using Men's servants. Let me explain what I mean. Oxen are our servants. And oxen was a bull that was, which had its bullness taken away so that its strength can be to bear a burden for us. Whether it's the water buffaloes in India or, or, or the cattle that we have in Africa. An ox is literally, it has its strength has been manipulated to bear a burden as a servant for humanity. You prophesy. So David thought that something that serves us can carry the glory of God into the city of David. He meant well. He made a brand new cart. It was brand new. But he was carrying the presence of God on a contraption that is supposed to serve you and I. There's a tendency in the church today to, to do everything that serves us as the church. Makes us comfortable. You meet when we are comfortable. You, you know, you pray until we're comfortable. You worship until we're comfortable. You let us go at a time that we're comfortable. And everything is really, and people are picking and choosing churches based on what's most comfortable for me. Do I like the way it looks on the inside? Do I like the lighting? Do I like the background? Do I like the sound? Do I like the music? And we're thinking that that which serves us as men can carry the glory of God. Let me prophesy to you and say that is not the way the glory is brought. So what happened is that the, as the oxen were traveling from the house of Aminadab, they came to the threshing floor of a man called Uzzah, 
and, 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 and rather no, to, to the threshing for what threshing floor somewhere and the the ark the, the rather the cart that had the oxen the oxen stumbled the bible says which means that the the cart destabilized the presence of god and a young man called Uzzah, who was one of the sons of Abinadab, put his hands on the ark, not to hurt or defy it. He was trying to steady it. And he was struck down there. And so we see this dilemma. When we try to do things our way in violation of the principles of God, this young man ended up dead. David got so upset at God because of what happened to this young man called Uzzah, that he said, don't bring the ark into the city of David anymore. And they took the ark into the city of, into the house of a proselyte who was attached to the tribe of Jude, uh, of, of uh, Levi, whose name was Obed-Edom. And they kept the ark or the presence of God in this man's house. But because this man received God's presence when nobody else wanted it, the house of Obed-Edom began to be supernaturally blessed. I'm just prophesying right now if you can allow the word of God to come through what I'm saying and hear what God is saying to you. When the presence of God was unpopular, a man who was not even an Israelite, if you look at Obed-Edom, you know, he was, he's a man that had been, he's a proselyte that was put together in the tribe because some of these tribes could absorb outsiders. He was attached to the house of Levi. So when you read, it appears that he's a child of Levi, but no, his bloodline is that he's an outsider, he's more of an Edomite. Are we together? For three months, the glory of God was in his house. The Bible says it blessed everything he has. And again, I'm prophesying as the Lord has led me to do this morning. That there is a time that is coming that those that shall embrace God's presence. When it's not popular to serve him. When it's not popular to have an altar in your house where you and your family pray. When it's not popular to worship together parents and children in the house and lift up the name of the Lord. When it's not popular to put God first in our churches because we are putting human beings first. The one that shall open his house to God's presence when nobody else wants it. There's a blessing that came to the house of Obed-Edom. And then David was told, hey, the Lord has been blessing the house of Obed-Edom and everything that he has. That means his entire possession, dogs, cats, everything was getting blessed. And so now when David heard that, that's when David made the decision to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David. The only thing was this. The first time he tried to do that, he got it wrong. Uh, you know, I've been talking about leadership. One of the things that is a mark of a, of a good leader is the ability to adjust to new information. Are we okay? That means that a leader is teachable. The first king of Israel saw when he made a mistake and he was rebuked, he never changed. He tried to justify his mistake. Have you ever met people like that? You're telling them you did wrong. Well, but you know, but, 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 but what? You did wrong. Just admit that. Well, you know, it was uh, in the time of day and, and then my friends made me do it and, and would never. The, the, one of the signs of a person stepping into rebellion is the, their inability to be corrected. But one of the signs of a heart that is attached to God and the leader that God chooses is, you know what? I can be rebuked and I can change. Are we okay? So David, because he got it wrong the first time, he did his research. And when he did his research, he found out why that young man Uzzah had been killed. He found out that Uzzah had been killed because the presence of God was never supposed to be carried by man's servant, the ox. 
For the presence of the glory of God was designed to be carried by the priests. And the priests were sitting there with no burden on their shoulder because they had passed on their burden to their contraptions. Today, a lot of people think that technology will bring glory. There's a heavy leaning on technology in the church today. Lights, cameras, ambience. Create fake atmospheres that are full of human presence and vacant of God's presence. You cannot manufacture glory, my friends. I don't care how sophisticated you become. I'm not saying don't have nice things. Please, I love nice, uh, wonderful atmospheres. But I've been to some of the prettiest looking places that are as empty as possible of the glory of God. Younger generation, I hope you're hearing me. Don't get caught up by gimmicks. The presence of God may not look fancy, but when it hits, you will know. You will know. Why do we need the glory to come back? There's somebody who could be in this building right now that might be suicidal. I have a sense in my spirit that somebody has been very, very down and they don't want to give up on life. Walking into this place must cause that spirit to lift off of you. We need the glory of God and his heaviness to come back into the house of God. Amen. If that's you, by the way, we need to pray for you. That is not who you are. Your life is worth so much, so much. Once we get the right perspective, hopefully this morning, you'll be able to walk away and value this amazing life God has given you and shake off that thing that is trying to bring you down. David found out why Uzzah died. It was because he was trying to use another means to bring God in, a means that was never designed to do that. Because the priests were too lazy to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know why? Gold is a very heavy metal. You guys know that, right? That little box was only two by four. Two, I think two feet by like four or something. It's a tiny little box, but it was completely overladen with gold. It was a heavy piece of furniture. So it's easy to put it and say, ah, I don't want to feel the burden on my shoulders. Let me put it on this thing. Are we here? David went to the priests. Who are the priests? The pastors, no. Everyone who's here is a priest. Well, 2 Peter 2.24, you are the royal priest with the holy nation. God's own peculiar people that he called out of darkness into marvelous light. The body of Christ is the priesthood on the earth today. That means who should feel the weight of the burden of bringing God's glory in? You and me. Collectively, you cannot pass this job on to someone else because I'm busy. Because guess what? We are all busy. I have so much to do. Guess what? We've all got a lot to do. It's, we have got to let the church understand once again there is a burden to be carried. And it's not one man or 15% of the church's responsibility to do that. It's all of us. Once David understood that, he went to the Levites and he says, the first time I tried to bring God's glory, I made a mistake. I never should have put his glory on a cart that was drawn by oxen. 
we did wrong because you all were supposed to have consecrated yourself and picked that little heavy box and put it on your shoulders. Now let's do the right thing. What happened when they did the right thing? The Levites consecrated themselves. They went and they picked up that box with its weight. And step by step, they began to come into the city of David to establish a new center of worship in Israel. And David, the Bible says, danced before the ark because he was not happy being from the tribe of Judah that only one tribe would bear the weight of the responsibility of bringing God in. He danced before the ark, the Bible says, with all his might. And we sing about it, don't we? When the spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will dance like David danced. I don't really like that song. No, because I haven't seen it happen yet, so has the spirit not come yet? We keep talking about what we will do when the spirit comes. He came 2,000 years ago. I haven't seen you dance. That's a sermon for another day. Amen. But David danced with all his might and the glory of God came into the city of David because everybody bore responsibility for the arrival of God's glory. I'm speaking prophetically concerning 2019 church. I hope you can hear me. Matthew 11 and verse 28. Here's what Jesus says. If you can find it and put it up please. That way I can just stay focused. Matthew 11 28. You guys already know this scripture, by the way. Mm. It says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And then what else? So take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle or I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That scripture is filled with paradoxes or what you might consider apparent contradictions. Allow me to explain the Lord says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. So he appears to be talking to a people that are weary from toil. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. But the rest he appears to talk about is not to sit down and do nothing. Because he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But Lord, I thought they were tired from labor and toil. You are asking them to come and rest by putting a yoke on them. How many of you know what a yoke is? How many of you don't know what a yoke is? Come on, young you guys sure? The youngest, what is a yoke? A yoke is a contraption that joins a beast of burden to a burden. We have oxen, my grandparents, on both sides. We're arable and pastoral farmers. So we had oxen and then we had to take them out. So whenever we, we plowed, we did not have a tractor that was driven by, you know, a diesel truck. None, none of that. We still had, to this day, in, in our village, they still oxen and, and, and plow. 
So what would happen is we'll bring two oxen and then it, we, had a, it, we didn't even have a sophisticated, we still have the wooden plows, which is a pole of wood with two other pieces of wood that come around the neck of each animal. And they join two animals to a common burden. That burden may be to pull a cart as we went to harvest and take our grain from the field or to pull a plow as we drove that piece of metal into hard ground to break it open that we might plant seed. So Jesus is saying to so the question I have is, what labor had made these people tired and what burden and what yoke can cause their souls to rest? Are we okay? Come unto me, he says, oh, you that labor in the heavy land. So I'm sure they, oh, I'm just going to go to Jesus, man, and I'm just going to kick my feet, and it's going to be so awesome. Yes, it is, except he's actually calling you from toil to work. Oh, you that labor in the heavy land, it means a lot of us, when we are in the world just doing worldly things, things that don't have God in it, it's tiring. It is toilsome. It keeps us agitated. It's mentoring one young businessman. Always young. He's a little older than me. I call him a young man. He met his wife at a company in, um, in Danielson, Connecticut. And then one time I said, my brother, can you just take some time off you and your wife where you don't stress about business and take her somewhere and go on a cruise, do something? And I gave him homework to do that. Why would I do that? Because they've been working on this company. They had just scored a fairly decent um, contract with, with the government in Connecticut, the local government in Connecticut. And I've never seen people that work so hard almost seven days a week. And I had to tell him, listen, man, I need you to take a break. I need you to be able to do something. No, but, you know, and then I asked him, I said, what are you afraid of? He said, I'm afraid of losing it all. So here's a young man that knows God and loves God but was toiling and it was taking a toll sometimes on your health, but it was out of dri driven by the fear that I might, I might lose it all. A lot of people in the world are working like that. They are completely fatigued, tired, toiling, serving a fear of what would happen if this all goes away. But when we come into the kingdom of God, we give to God what belongs to God, and there's a rest that comes to your soul when you connect yourself to an eternal burden. That's my exhortation to you right now. I used to think that serving God tires me out. Till I found out when you really step into an anointing, there is no greater place of rest than that. You feel energized, not depleted. I'm here to tell you there's a burden you can carry that will give you life. There's a burden you can carry that will give you joy. People that have found their calling and are serving in their calling, whatever capacity, maybe from out of the work that you do, you are doing other things for the kingdom of God. Those that are making a daily deposit in things that are kingdom related with the right attitude and the right heart, something amazing begins to happen on the inside of you. There is a burden that is beautiful to carry. Are you present? Come unto me, all you that labor in the heavy land. Why? We're heading into 2019, Pastor Fina. 2019, the work ethic of this church is about to go to a whole other level. Not just in our staff. I'm talking about in kingdom-related activity. 
until every month when you and the family look and say, what have we you know, uh, invested in kingdom? You'll be able to look and, and, and your kids will know and will be blessed and you'll be blessed by the work, that, the, the, the shouldering that you've done of a heavenly burden because we're getting into territory that nobody has been before. Anybody that has got projections, whether it's the economist or, or the political, they are projecting something they have absolutely no idea about. We are about to walk into uncharted territories, and that's what I'm trying to share with you right now. It's time to get close to the Lord and stay close to where the fire is. How do we carry that righteous burden? We carry that righteous burden because we love the Lord, because we love what he loves. So we yoke ourselves to what he is doing. The invitation is this. Children, I am pulling the plow by myself. I can pull the plow by myself. But I'm asking you to join me because you look stressed and you look depleted and you look fatigued. So come and join me so you might find rest for your soul. Why? What's the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. What happens when you partner with what God is doing? He nourishes your soul. It feeds your soul. You wonder why are these people that serve God? You know, why won't they quit? Why did they keep doing this? You know, you're mistreated by people. Why do you keep serving? Because there's a nourishment and a meal that you enjoy from doing something of eternal value that you can never get from doing anything else. Are we okay? So what do we do? We have to understand what the work of the kingdom is. What is the work of the kingdom? Now, let me give you a few examples. Worship. Do you know that the word for worship in the Hebrew is the same word for work? It's the word avoda. The word avoda, work. The word for worship, avoda. Same word, same root. So what do you mean? Some of the best work we've done this week was when we were lifting up the name of the Lord earlier today. It didn't seem like work, did it? We were just singing songs before the Lord. But what you may not understand is that as you sang and as you lifted up the name of the Lord, there was an invasion in the heavenlies over Hicksville. There was an invasion whenever you're worshiping in your own home. You are taking territory above that house. You are waging a level of war you may not even be aware of. One of the hardest working things you can do is when you do like Moses did. Moses was working harder than, jo than Joshua, you know that, on Mount Rephidim. What happened? These guys were a bunch of brand new slaves, uncle. They've just come from 400 years of slavery. They met an enemy of the Amalekites who were seasoned veterans in war that knew how to fight. So Joshua, the young leader, who had never fought a battle in his life, got a militia together. And when they were in the valley, they were getting killed, beaten, by the Amalekites, until the old man, Moses, went up on Mount Rephidim to do some work. And what was that work? He went there and he lifted up the staff of God, hands raised on Mount Rephidim. Victory begins to come in the valley. All of a sudden, this group of brand new soldiers are beating seasoned you know, veterans. Why? Because you have to understand what work is. When it comes to eternal things. Moses was pulling the burden, bearing the burden of worship. There's a, there's a term for praise 
in Hebrew, I think it's called, there's Shabak and there's one called Toda. And both of them have got to do with the lifting up of hands before the Lord. May the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. So the Lord is not asking or demanding for you to do something. We need you to come. Like for example, in the last few days when we were teaching on leadership, we needed all of you to be there. Why? That little bit of worship that we're doing was work. We were working. So what? So many hands make work light. And sometimes the way you sing, the way you worship, the way you love God, it makes a difference for me. It creates a different atmosphere. All of us are needed in this. It's not just for the few that are committed. It's a thing we must all do together. So what if we begin to do the work that is it means that everybody is intensely involved in this one piece of work I'm talking about right now, which is worship. I have been in atmospheres, ladies and gentlemen, where worship went up. I'll give one example. For years, I was trying to teach my youth, teach them. Come on, guys, preach like a crazy man. And yeah, they were getting it. Yeah, they were blessed. Yeah, Pastor Felix, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. But nobody was really changing. And then a man of God came to visit me one day. In fact, he asked, I asked him to preach for us. He was a dean of a local Bible college that was attached to the Assemblies of God. I just saw him and I felt I needed to invite him to speak to my youth. And all he was saying was this. He was just saying, uh, son, just pray with me that the presence of God may be here. So I said, okay, uncle, I'll pray. And he calls me the next day, Felix, yeah, just pray with me that the presence of God may be there. I said, I get it. I, we, we are on it. The next day he calls me again. Son, just pray with me. Now, I don't know what he means. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, I think we're praying because there was a lesson there I did not know. That when real work is done, whoo, real work is done. You can hardly pray in church on Sunday anywhere in the United States. Because prayer is given two minutes and that's it. Worship is given a few minutes. If you go over everybody, they say, yeah, 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 you know, come on, come on, money. We got to get out. Ah, anyway, that Saturday night was special because I went all around the neighborhood, invited as many kids as I could. I had 300 kids in that room. Room is packed out. Then worship begins to come up. Pastor Phil. And all of a sudden, the unison in the voice was so powerful. I felt a shift to the atmosphere. When people understand what is work and what is play, worship is not play. It's work. It's work. So the, the kids began to lift up the name. Even I was like, how come they never sing like this? Something brought us into an intense unity. And the man of God got up to preach. And he preached for less than three and a half, four minutes maximum. All he did was he got up and he told the story of David in the cave of Adullam when he longed for water from the well in Bethlehem. And this is what he said. He said, um, David was in the cave and he longed and he said, oh, I wish that I could drink water from the well in Bethlehem. And three of David's mighty men heard him. And they went and they broke through the Philistines' garrison. Why? Because the Philistines were camped in Bethlehem. They broke through the garrison of the enemy and drew water for David and brought it to him. And David could not touch that water because it was sacred. He poured it out as a drink offering before the Lord. So that uncle then turned around and says, there's only one water that runs in the house of bread. What David was really thirsty for 
was the Holy Spirit. Then he said, why should I speak about someone that knows how to speak for himself? I'm done. Let's all stand. In that atmosphere where worship had gone up intensely, we stood and three quarters of the room fell down. It went like this. I heard the sound as my kids hit the floor. And I turned around and nobody is standing. Chairs are all over the place because we had chairs not used. Chairs are falling all over the place. The entire room was on the floor. Two hours. I could hear one breaking out in tongues over there. Another breaking out in tongues over there. I'm talking about kids I knew. We're not that type of kid. They're not, never going to give you a courtesy tongue because they were, they, if it wasn't real, they were not going to do it. And in one meeting, my entire youth group was changed. Some of those young people are ministers today moving powerfully and they can trace the moment of their trans, transformation to one night when work, real work, had been done. Are we Okay. Some of you look spooked by it. This is what Pentecost is. We used to experience weekly. This is old school Pentecost. We believe in the supernatural. <laughs> Amen? We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's not cute. But it's transformative. So what am I saying? I'm saying the church has got to identify what is work. What is another piece of work that we do outside of worship? Another work is prayer. Prayer is not easy when it's done right. There's a work element to it because there's got to be a stubbornness behind prayer. A refusing to be refused. When prayer is done right, Jesus put it this way, Luke chapter 18, all that men ought always to pray and not faint. When prayer is done right, it raises up the most stubborn Christians on the planet because when they face to heaven, they will not walk back without an answer. When prayer is done right. When prayer is done right, it's not. Potluck, we got some biryani. And uh, enjoy yourself. Nah, you people are joking. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. When prayer is done right, you stand on your two feet. And you make declarations in the courts of God. Concerning the outcome of a generation. You bring your kids, you lay their names one after the other before the throne of God. And you say, you gave me these children. They will serve you every day of their life. I don't, I, any spirit of rebellion, is, I declare you are children of, you're talking to God, not to men. You're not yelling at your kids. You are bringing their case in the courts of God. And refusing to back out. You are like that Syrophoenician woman that says, my daughter is vexed with a demon. And I've come to it for you to heal her. And even though heaven is silent, you stand your ground. And if the Lord doesn't say anything, you stand your ground. Until what? Until the Lord breaks his silence and talks about little dogs. And then you say, well, don't dogs eat crumbs from under the master's table. Thank you. I'm taking home what I came to get. Yeah. A lot of people think they pray, particularly let me talk, but Alice, you all think you're prayer warriors. You all need help. I'm serious. Come to Africa. We'll teach you how it's done. You all need help. You know, because you're third generation Christian, some of you have never really dealt with witchcraft. My goodness, man, I was raised in a home. My grandfather, my upper child was a warlock, a serious involved in witchcraft. You learn to pray. 
that righteous work that moves the heavens. That righteous work that breaks the back of the enemy in any community. Ah, you can have whatever you want if you prepare to pay the price of prayer for it. You cannot be denied. John Knox said, give me Scotland or I die. And the Lord put Scotland in his hand. It's time to come back to the real work. Are we okay? Got two minutes. Two minutes-ish. What else is the real work? It's preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel. So imagine if worship is intense. One. Imagine if prayer is powerful. Two. The preaching of the gospel is just a collecting of a harvest. Dr. Cho taught us that you cannot possess a territory without dealing with the principalities first. Because there he is in South Korea, in whatever you may do. I've heard people criticize Cho, some of it. Well, you know, you heard about what he did with the Until you build a church that size and change an entire territory, then let's talk, okay? Until that happens, it's okay just to look at the good that he has done and what God has done through him. That man is a prayer warrior. For years, he used to pray for seven, eight hours a day. And a territory that was, that was literally invaded and covered by Shintoism and, and the old ancient you know, Eastern religions began to be the house of the largest church, the most effective churches that has ever been built on this planet. Don't mess with the power of prayer, friends. When the church knows how to do it right. Right now, we're in this community, and I'll tell you that one of the things that we're going to do, we're looking at starting home groups, which is one of the reasons why I was here. There needs to be a canopy of prayer that covers that by people that know how to pray. If you're still praying today the way you prayed 20 years ago, you haven't learned anything. There are depths and there are layers of prayer. Matthew 7, 7, ask, seek, and knock, those are layers in prayer. Those are levels in prayer. There's a level where you ask. There's a level where you seek. And there's a level in prayer where you knock. No answer. No answer. Boom. Boom. What do you want? I want my generation set free. You have to know the levels, the layers of intercession. I'm talking about the right kind of work. Are we okay? Why is this necessary to talk about? Our forefathers knew this, man. How do you think they came from nothing to have the effect that they had? They knew this. But some of this has been lost in the newer generation because we got nice and sophisticated. And I'm calling us back to learning how to knock on heaven's door and refuse to be denied. Ah, brother. Share a little testimony. I'm almost done, Pastor. I needed to hear an answer from God about 24 years ago. 24 years ago. I needed an answer because that answer was going to determine my path. Part of the reason why I'm in front of you right now is because of the answers I got in that meeting. So I fasted all day and I got into my prayer closet at four. And all day I was asking the Lord, Lord, I'm going to be in my prayer closet at four o'clock. Please meet with me. I have something to talk to you about. I kept asking for an appointment, asking for an appointment all day, asking for an appointment. I got into the prayer closet at four and I learned a lesson. I got into the prayer closet at four o'clock in the afternoon and I began to pray. I didn't feel God at all. It was one of the most boring prayer meetings I've ever had. I went from four to five, nothing. Not even a slight inkling of the presence of God. Five to six, nothing. Six to seven, by this time I'm getting frustrated. 
I never really prayed like that before. But I needed, but I, when you're desperate, you're desperate. You, want, you know what I mean? I was just, I had to have an answer that I had to give, which was going to determine the entire course of my life. So a part of me wanted to get up and try again at another time, but I felt the spirit of the Lord whisper, why don't you carry on for a little bit more? Seven to eight, nothing. Eight to nine, nothing. Nine to ten, nothing. Ten to eleven, midnight. I started at four o'clock. Now I'm almost in tears. I'm so discouraged. I just want to walk away. I just want to do other things. It's like, well, I even said to the Lord, well, Father, you know, if you, if, 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 if you don't want to talk right now, it's okay. You know where to find me. But something in me was just, why don't you push a little bit more? From 12 to 1. From 1 to 2. From 2 to 3. 3 to 4. 415. 420. 423. 425. That's what it felt like. Because I just felt snatched out of my body. Traveling at great speed and I heard a voice behind me, what do you want? And before I could formulate the question, the answer was given. What else? And I, and what else? And what else? Anything else? Oh. Learned a lesson. That so many times we play patty cake with the Lord because we don't have a stubborn spirit when it comes to prayer. A lot of Christians are not stubborn. That's why you end up, you know, you pray in faith, you get discouraged, then you start talking negative. The Bible says, hold fast to your confession. Do you know what that means? What you confess in the beginning of the journey, you must confess in the middle of the journey. With the same force you must confess at the end of the journey. You don't wane. You don't. You have to learn to be stubborn. That Jesus said this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. That is the spirit of prayer. When the work is done right. When was the last time you approached the Lord with such grit? What would he not do? This community can be yours. All the things with the buildings and all the stuff that needs to get done, you possess it in prayer before you possess it in the natural. That's the way it works. But what the Lord is inviting us is to this amazing work. Worship is work. Prayer is work. The preaching of the gospel is work. But it's a beautiful work. When it's covered by these other two, you're just collecting, you're collecting, you're collecting. You know, I, I took my, I was sharing this, that I'm, I, I, I just said this thing that I found out where we were planted as a church, that nobody in our near neighborhood was coming to our church. Everybody was driving from somewhere else. We had houses across the street, but nobody from that neighborhood was coming to our church. We had a big sign outside that says New Life Church in Chirezi. And I just noticed it out of the blue one day. And so the only army I had was the youth. So I went to the youth and I told them, guys, for an hour, every Sunday after church, we are going to get out of our cars and out of our air-conditioned church. We are going to walk the streets. The place where my, my, my church was in the lower world, it's probably one of the hottest places outside of a desert in the world because it's several feet beneath sea level. So Chirezi is very hot. But I used to take this youth for an hour. They would walk and pray, walk and pray. And what were we praying and asking for that hour? Lord, make it easy for people in our neighborhood to come to that. We are parked right here. They could walk across the street to the house of God. You know what began to happen? I have so, much, so, so many of stories that I can tell you that came out of that. But one chief story that came was this. More people began to come from the neighborhood. And here's what they were saying. How long have you guys been here? We said, many years. Oh, we didn't know you were a church. I'm like, excuse me. There is a big sign right there that says New Life Church. Oh, we never noticed that. You live right across the street. The sign has been there for 20 years. They didn't see it. Why? 
Because sometimes you have to battle for the blinded eyes of the unsaved to be open. Because the God of this earth does this to them. It's not that they hate God. It's that they are blinded. But what happens when they are blinded? If nobody can petition for them to get sight, they will drive right past this building looking for the answers that are found here. So what work are we talking about for 2019? The work of worship together. Not a few of us. All of us. When you call a holy convocation or times of special meetings, pastor, it means that, ladies and gentlemen, you postpone whatever else you're doing to come to a consecrated assembly. Because we don't do this every week, like a reason to gather. But when that reason is given by the men of God, trust me, the Lord wants to accomplish something. Be sensitive enough to what God wants. To cancel every other thing on your agenda. To come and assemble together. Watch what will happen if you are of that spirit. Watch what will happen. I'm speaking prophetically this morning. I will come to give you a sermon. I've come to give you a word from God. In Joshua chapter 3, I'm ending with this. They're about to cross from the wilderness after 40 years into the land of promise. And Joshua went throughout all the camp of Israel. And here's what he says. He says, we're about to depart from here. But I want you to keep several feet away from the Ark of the Covenant. Why? So that everybody can be able to see the Ark. He says, keep your eyes on the priests that bear the Ark. You know why? For we have not been this way before. Nobody has the GPS coordinates of where we're going. Keep your eyes on the presence of God. We are walking into uncharted territory, children. Keep your eyes on the presence of God. And that's the word the Lord gave me to tell you this morning. Keep your eyes on the presence of God. Because where we are going in 2019, I need you to hear me good. We have never been this way before. Let's all stand this. Very quickly, I just want to say a quick prayer. Any parents that are in here and you're believing for maybe your, your, your children to become lukewarm in the things of God and that's been troubling you and you're looking for revival within the family. I'm not talking to anybody. If that's you, just lift up your hands. That your kids' attention has been swooped away by the enemy and we want them to come back with force. Is there anybody? Okay. I want to call those youngsters in right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Put your hand up high so I can see God is about to move. He's about to revive families. I see you, uncles. I see you. Lift those hands high. Now, I want you to have the faith that revival is about to hit your children. Don't always just criticize them. Hear me good. Don't speak what the devil is doing. Speak their destiny. You understand? Don't keep speaking to them all. Always, oh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. No, no. Just speak over them their destiny. You're a child of God. You're going to serve the Lord. I dedicated you as a child, and I know God is going to use you. Speak that over them on a daily basis. Don't look at the negative that they're doing. Look at what God is doing and give him glory. Father, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I release a sound into the heavenlies. I, re I release a gathering call for all the prodigals. And I declare prodigals it's time to come home. I declare every prodigal it's time to come home. I say to every prodigal it's time to come home. From the north, the south, the eastern, I declare the north, let them go. I say to the south, release them. I say to the east, let them go. I say to the west, release them. They are God's possession. They are heaven's portion. They are the vessels of the spirit of the living God. 
So I declare prodigals, come home. Come home. Come home. Yes, God bless you. Thank you.